Uh, well, I didn't hit the intro. It doesn't fucking matter. Fuck it. We're live. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Zars Podcast, and we are hosts tonight, Nate and Thomas, the Paranoid American. That's me. What's up, buddy? Um, I thought this was going to be our 200th episode, but I really miscalculated, but it worked out perfect anyways, because this is a two-year anniversary. We started right around June 1st, so... Whoa, whoa. Congratulations, this is our guys. anniversary episode. Thank you, man. Thank you. So we have a hell of a lot of fun people here. Some of my favorite thinkers that we've had on the show. Um, I guess let's start introducing people. Let's start at the top right. Uh, Andreas, welcome, man. Dude, thanks for having me back. Uh, I love you guys. You know, Paranoid American Thomas has been doing some shows with us. We've been doing uh, Sync Tank on yep, Tuesdays. Sync Tank Tuesdays. I love so it. That's I been cherish it. Sweet. Yeah, I cherish it too. And so I'm really stoked. And I've been wanting to do more things with Nate and Tony. So I got the 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 old invite. I was like, sweet. This is, it's been like a year, I feel like, since we did something. So rad. It's been a minute. Yeah. And Charlie, thank you, brother. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I had to drop out because my microphone was all jacked up, but it's fixed now. So now we can we can party, I guess. Sweet. Something. <laughs> Hell yeah. After living in DC, I just don't like the sound of partying anymore. I'm scared. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, we'll just do it on the download. We'll just be all real right. cool. Even it. that's pretty all right, Andy. <laughs> that's problematic too. <laughs> Andy Rouse, how you doing, brother? Good, man. Thanks for having me here. Seriously, congratulations, dude. It's awesome. Thank you, dude. Uh, you really quick. <laughs> and one of my favorite people in the entire world, Monica Perez. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this all week. It's a great way to kick off the weekend. And congratulations. Thank you so much. You were a huge inspiration in me starting a podcast, Monica. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Uh, we have no agenda. We were talking about Neanderthals before we started recording. We can get, we can go in anywhere. We were talking about. Uh, well, somebody left on Homo erectus. That was the last word that I heard. I want to know. I want to know. Listen, this is, these are the important things to talk about. Did Homo erectus have diversity training? That's what I'm curious Ooh. about. So everything everything about that sounds funny until I found out what you're saying is true. They legitimately oh, did. There was a whole bunch of things about this this week. They were talking about Homo erectus as having been uh, 200,000 years ago. There's a multiple diversion for Floriensis, Denisovan, and Neanderthal out of Indonesia, right? Which is this whole other thing, which has offended some people because it means that there's a back into and out of Africa kind of as if people exactly. just interacted with each other and weren't completely isolated. Which is just, it very much bothers people, you know? Well, it's but, like people are trying to put an empirical start date on things. In why can't people just be cut and dry? No, never, yeah. never. And so the people coming to the West and coming back to the East, it looks like Indonesia is this major epicenter. And they found, they said the Homo erectus uh, in Indonesia. But when they went back to Jakarta and they looked, they said, wait, we don't know that this is really Homo erectus. I mean, we only have really small amounts of this. And the more we look at it, again, we only looked at this 200 years ago. This is the 1890s, today, 1811, 1890s, we were starting to find these things. So more and more, we're wondering, well, is this actually Homo erectus? Maybe it's not. Maybe we've right. just been assuming it's been for 200 years. And now it looks more like this might have been Denisovan or something more in between. And so we're getting more and more information about what it really means, to be, the fact that these things are not that different. That they Wait, can interact are with you other. saying that they're lying to us about our history? <laughs> Absolutely. That's the thing. 
but only starting yeah. from the 1800s. And I, they're starting, but, start, but they're also simultaneously telling you the truth, right? Like, because yes. they're, it's kind of like in school, they'll tell you, okay, just for you, but don't tell anyone else, but two and two can equal four here, but just now, and don't, and if you tell anyone else it's a hate crime, they're, they're doing that more and more. So like, for instance, it, you don't have to call it the human genome anymore. They've finally moved past that because that's a misnomer. It's not one human genome. It's this plethora of DNAs that are, uh, what's the word? Gene flow, they're calling it. The human gene flow is the new term. I so, bought I mean, a, that, um, a genetics textbook once because like Darwin, the math does not work. It can't be like, it can't, it just, uh, even when I was young, I was like, it can't work because it can't be random allele like mutations that progress to a complex thing that is so superior that everybody else in that species dies and you're the only one left and all of your offspring have all the, it's just the math cannot work. So I was like, surely they're not teaching this with bad math. So I got a textbook. It was, the textbook was called developmental plasticity. And I believe it's like a Lamarck thing. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but in the like introduction of this book, it said like, we all know there's huge problems with Darwinian theory. And it's like, (laughs) Oh, it's just like what you were saying. It's like they're allowed to say it in the ivory tower. It's totally fine. But you're a heretic if you say it in fifth grade. It's like, I think I can't do this math. They're, yeah, they're just counting mostly on like, uh, they're counting on our ignorance or our lack of interest in these topics. They're counting on people not reading fine print and long texts. Or being ostracized. Like next but time, Andy. Too, right? Next time Andy asks any questions, just remember to call him a freak or something. You know, anytime. <laughs> well, that's fuel. That's good. That'll you know that'll help. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a little story though about that. I'm just going to interject this real quick. That do you know who Lamarck is? Uh, in genetics, or remind me. Yeah, remind me. yeah. He yeah. was the guy who's like competing with Darwin. Right. or whatever, coming up with a theory. And he said, there has to be some, I, I am going to call it a subcellular intelligence. But what he was saying is, yes, there's mutations and stuff, but it's not just totally random. There has to be a way. Right. So, he thought species could evolve into things on purpose, essentially. Yes. And in my, like what I have thought of that, and I think epigenetics is like turning back to Lamarck. What I have thought about it is that they say like, we can't figure out all these genes. They're kind of wasted. We have extra genes on our thing. And I I'm thinking that you get the mutations and they just accumulate and somehow there is an intelligence subcellularly that understands which ones are needed in that environment, which is why like pregnancy or inheritance can accelerate based on the environment. So the book, I read a book called The Case of the Midwife Toad, which oh. was about this guy, Camerer, who in the 1920s, he had, I believe it was even before that, but he had figured out, he had had raised frogs in captivity that developed some of the attributes of water frogs when he kept them in water over generations. He very quickly accelerated this evolutionary process. It couldn't have been Darwinian. It was Lamarckian. So he killed himself with two shots to the back of the head, like, uh, or what with, you know, a shot he couldn't Lamarck. Not Lamarck. No, No, Cameron, the guy who proved it. But this is the crazy part. This is the punchline. The book that I read, which was written in the 70s, it was called The Case of the Midwife Toad. It was so weird because it was it was kind of preparing us for epigenetics. And it was like maybe whatever. And it was written by Arthur Kessler, who Hmm. wrote The 13th Tribe. Wow. And people say, yeah, that he's kind of a um, that he's like a whitewash artist. You know, he's a limited hangout or controlled, like whatever you want to say. But he's there to deliver a lot of truth 
in a way that ends with, so we're, we're laying it all bare. And this is what we want you to think about well, this new information. But Taird Chardin was a, Taird Chardin, who was, you know, Aldous Huxley promoted his work for the phenomenon of man and a lot of like the ideas that singularity and transhumanism are coming from Chardin. He was um, really into Jean-Baptiste Lamarck as well. And Lamarck had fought in the Prussian War. So I know that he'd got a lot of these ideas from this idea of manifestate, manifesting of destiny was like really big at the time. And it's an interesting argument between so like social Darwinism naturally comes out of this idea of randomness, but it doesn't fit with the logic of love and if you think about it i've always wondered this when people talk about like gattaca they're like oh in the future we'll be able to select our genes it's like don't you think that's already what generationally has been happening by women selecting right. their husbands and it's except for in the most extreme circumstances economics haven't really forced people to because there's been a lot of bastards in royal families don't get me wrong like the entire idea that this is all just the way the economics have been forcing genetics to work is just it's not as random as people think it is you threw, out, you threw out huxley and we were talking about darwin i don't know if you guys know this another interesting thread that i found out recently but aldous huxley's grandfather i think his name was thomas henry huxley he was known as um darwin's bulldog he was kind of like the front yeah. lines guy that would go out and do all of the debating to you know basically push darwinism and that i mean eventually it turns into eugenics in a very real way and i think darwinism almost kind of remains that like untouched pearl of the eugenicist theory and right. that's the that's the reason why there's so much pushing of it and pushback of like calling you an idiot if you you know question that kind of a also, theory darwin darwin was a self-hating white man which i find like more and more relevant <laughs> at the time i was like this is not that big of a deal i can see how this happened but he's he was in, he was a closeted homosexual i don't know how closeted because he all was. were yeah, but he had love. <laughs> he was in love. Have you seen Barry? It was like that mobster love story. He loved his neighbor so much. Like he wanted to be with him and he couldn't because his neighbor was black and from Guam. There should be a show. Like there could be the whole the the, the, the idea of Darwin and how he just like looks. This would the be the year for it to come out. Look at the birds. Like he the Dude. way he the way John Edmondson taxidermies those birds. I want him so bad to take <laughs> this is really I don't know why that's not the movie that exists yet. I feel like it exists in your head already. Like we I've just need to record it. Disney's, Disney's got an option on it. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that that would be really. This, yeah, I wish there was a Netflix show because John Edmondson did all of the work to understand mutation and was far, I'm again a note here, man. This far is more Lamarckian. John Edmondson was. Uh, he traveled around the world. He was born. I don't know if he was born in Guam or if he was born in uh, French Guam. Uh, French Guiana. Yeah. Guiana. One Guiana. of the. One of the. Yeah. French one of Guiana. the. South American. Um, How do you feel French about doing an adult comic on this? I'm into it. Like, yeah. like, like all, like full frontal, you know, like no holds barred. But it, it, the reason I brought it up was because at the time we're we're hearing people say, "Oh, well, the white British man is the greatest apex of evolution." We look at all these drawings. You know, we found the 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 was it the pit down man? Where in order to not be Neanderthal, because Neander's Valley is in German, right? We can't be those ra racism against Germans. They can't have their valley. We need to have our own British man. That's the the apex of evolution. And this is all simultaneous to Darwin thinking that the white man is the culmination of all sorts of failings of the plague and of different issues that have happened because of society falling. He's thought that the society falling has led to perhaps a degeneration. I mean, and this is stuff that people don't associate, I think with, uh, with Darwinism and yet it is kind of the, the fruit of it. Right. How is that dovetail with the intentional subversion of Christianity, which is, 
I think what Darwin and the dinosaur thing was about. No. I always wonder about this part because Darwin, I just don't believe in the Noam Chomskyism of him being that atheistic. I mean, it's so no, weird. I think that that's talk him into it. I have a book about like he he was like, this is making me nervous because I think it's going to have a bad impact. And well, like ships in the night, Madame Blavatsky and the Theosophic Society are going to the same Ascension Island, right, where Cat Hill uh, is today, where the CIA's uh, GCHQ, the MI6 intelligence agency that Snowden talks about, where all the te telephones are run. This is an island that's a volcano that was turned to a desolate, horrifying uh, death place and then they had darwin re-terraform it right and so there's all these weird trees and fruits brought from all of the parts of polynesia around the world that they brought and this is the this is the epicenter for the mi6 dr evil's lair you just described. yeah this is this is the lair yeah this is they real? the sharks with the yeah lasers. ascension ascension island cat hill cat hill yeah <laughs> Everybody's taking notes. I, I, I am because I'm writing a book that's dealing with a lot of depopulation. Of course, it takes you back to Darwin. This is the first time I'm hearing of this, but I feel like they missed a big opportunity to have the natural selection of like a British pinky finger lifting higher. Mm. You know, right. they could that's have true. said that was the pit pinnacle of human evolution. That's if chicks dig it. That's what in the 19th century does start to early in the late in the early 20th century. So you've got, you know, have you ever done the Winston Churchill drinking a uh, challenge where you, no. you have to drink it? It's a lot. Champagne in the drink. bathtub in the morning. And he's no, not over uh, yet. We can give it a it, shot. He didn't have champagne in the Boer Wars. It's scotch. You know, it's scotch and bubble water. You've got the soda water in the morning and you're just drinking scotch all day. The scotch keeps the water from having malaria is like the goal, but he's floating through the day with about 12 cigars. And I think that you realize it's not that he's greater or more accomplished. It's just capable of holding on to the machine while it's running. Right. And so much of what is being human isn't being the greatest predator. It, we can't see very well. So we invent well, binoculars. He, his story is about being a, backstabbing scum right didn't he right well that's how the machine the works back? that's the real Absolutely. predator well, that's I mean, I'm the just best saying predator. he's not holding on he's definitely like turning the the wheels well yeah but i mean yeah, i'm just seeing like how 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 is a human more powerful than the the predator and the predator aliens franchise because we're more sneaky surreptitious manipulative all these things that's what makes him more powerful. It's not that it's not that humans are more right. blunt force like a mastodon or right. something. That's like why that. rape is as good as selection. Hmm. But right. also like, manipulation women by women is probably. Finger. Say it again. Ma female manipulation is probably just as good as well, right? Because it can control. Because the idea that a woman can convince other people to have their child, and that there have been royal bastards regardless of rules in society. I have to wrap my mind around that. I always feel like we are truly the weaker, but I, I mean, I don't know. It depends. That's the thing. I think that I just saw the recent Predator movie, and it's about a female a human in Native America in the 1700s, and she totally whoops him. And it's Prey was pretty, great. Yeah, was I, I'm pretty convinced that like the 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 um that female means violence in a well, sense in, in well. prometheus the, the girl's <laughs> the only one that survives at the end of the movie everyone else dies yeah right yeah 
I mean, females can endure a lot, I think, also. There's a lot of reasons why females are underrated in terms of their capacity for war and violence. I'm not God, saying we should recruit like... them for soldiers, per se. And maybe not for their muscular strength, but that's not... Dude, no, I guess I just had no riz because I was not... <laughs> I was not... Well, it's in... been bred out of all of us. Like, anything that's supposed <laughs> no to be control. natural to us has been bred out of us over generations of this modern society. That's true. I mean, you think about female nurses and things like a lot of the time women can deal with blood and like there's there's not a lot of fear. The idea that women are afraid of things. I don't really buy any of that. No, I don't think that that I don't think I think especially after you have kids, you have to completely subordinate any of those things that were (laughs) naturally self-preservation. You have to subordinate it to preserving the offspring and that will give you unusual courage. But before we move completely too far away, I wanted to point something out from the report from Iron Mountain, which Charlie, if you haven't read that lately, I've got it. it. Yeah, I you got read it. It's in a 88 while. pages. You, I'm going to yeah. do a show on it soon, but you are going to need that kind of thing. And I'll actually, I'll come do. A sh- I'll tell you about it personally. Please, if you want. Please, I'll re- it. reread it for the tenth time. But there's a place in it where it says it's like a, it, it's a totally amoral treatment of everything. So it's not in moral terms, but it says like treating childhood cancers is a is a genetic problem. Like you should not let those people live to breed. Motherfucker. Gotcha. The irony, so, the I mean, irony of eugenics is uh, this is so eugenics has come through, you know, Kellogg's and everyone else saying we need to sterilize deaf people, right? Let's just stop people who are deaf from existing in the nineteenth century. That was the goal of a lot. And then when the Germans in Nuremberg, they're saying, well, "Why did you do what you did?" They like they look at California and so they were trying to catch up with California. So yeah, it's part. They it's, say that. And it's hard not to acknowledge this because today we're getting to the point where people are forbidding certain genes from proliferating. That's what 23 and me is for. Down syndrome and they're all sterile yet. They keep popping up. Well, not anymore, Mm. but (laughs) they would. Everybody that has down syndrome is, is sterile. Um, there have, I think there's one supposed case of a male father. There's one like meme that's going around of a father, but it's definitely not true. Like, no, um, and I think there have been a few cases of females, but yeah, there's, there, it's just, there's so, is it recessive uh, or is it just immediately passed on? It's well, I mean, it's almost, there's almost no offspring of down syndrome in the history of humanity. It would be passed on to that 50% we know of. of their offspring. It would be passed on to 50% because half, half of the genes are affected and half hmm. of them aren't but this whatever. sounds like the exact kind of thing some secret cia you know eugenicists would love to get there oh could you use that yeah. yeah i mean yeah, the, it, you know first it comes to twins but now you're telling me i can get the most rare offspring to do my experiments on yes right. well right. yes yes that's true and i do my son has a very unusual kind of down syndrome it's not even mosaicism it's really really freaky it doesn't super affect, it doesn't make any difference. You can't tell by looking at him. But I've written to geneticists and say, like, you could really understand what's on that particular. He's the only person, like, on Earth who has this particular, he has a, so Down syndrome has, your 21st chromosome is a triple. Yours and mine is a double, and theirs is a triple. But his second two, the extra one is a mirror image of the second one. It's called an isomere. Anyway, it's just very hmm. weird. And there's hmm. other differences about his case that I thought, well, geneticists should really want to understand it. But now that you mention, 
experimentation. I'm probably going to not send those letters yeah, maybe out. Don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe keep him under the floorboards. Yeah, this was just a joke. It's a lot like Alzheimer's. So they do sometimes like to study people with Down syndrome because it's like Alzheimer's. Well, well Alzheimer's is actually uh, going into some of my research. That was what kind of kicked off the eugenics movement in a way because Alzheimer's would affect basically everyone of all different classes. No matter how rich or powerful you were, you know, you couldn't get out of this slow decline. And, and if you started to show symptoms of uh, Alzheimer's, then it might be the next 20, 30, you know, plus years of your life that you're going to live with this. So they were trying to just spend all their resources, figure out what's the solution to this? How can we, you know, solve this? And once they concluded that it was a genetic issue, predominantly, it was like, well, you know, if there's no treatment, then the next best thing is to just kind of weed it out of the population overall and that's why this it was because if we let you know people that have this genetic gene that might affect yeah. my rich grandkids one day and i can't have that so that's kind mm -hmm. of the original i mean obviously i'm oversimplifying of the thousands of different people's motivations but that was kind of this like underlying push where all the rich people got together and they're like we don't want our kids to be well, deaf or blind or mute or dumb so Let's it's make sure we the, just also it. the Dutch, right? Because Bayernick and um, after the after Bayernick started to find because like Pasteur and they made some vaccines, but they didn't understand what they were. And then finally they're saying, I think this thing is data or something, <laughs> and it's repeating itself. And I don't know. That's the thing that blows my mind is, is when you look at this like eight, you know, uh, early 19th century through the early 20th century um, experimentation medicine, it's literally just people like what happens if we just give, you know, these kids or this group of people? Yeah, the these gypsies, right? Every time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, oh, it's yeah. funny. It's the only, to your point about, like, making sure they're sterile or whatever, the only, like, true genocide, like, you take a genetic test and then have an abortion that I know about is Down syndrome. There are a couple of others, trisomy 18, um, but they don't usually survive after birth anyway. So... So they take a genetic test and that's how they decide whether you live or die. And it's funny because those are the only people who are absolutely guaranteed to be sterile anyway. So it's not even protecting the gene pool, but they, I can hmm. see how if they start, actually when you yeah, if they like start that. doing genetic analysis in, you know, in utero for other things, I mean, where is the next yeah. step? Like, well, obviously but, so this, is why, this is why virology kind of is interesting. So like when I went to school, I didn't hate, viruses and I, I didn't think that they were the worst thing ever i thought wow you could get blue Another hair that's creatures right yeah. yeah not even a creature necessarily it's not a creature that's what's so yeah i think of it more like a robot like a really tiny little like yeah. i remember in the sentinels and the matrix i think i'm like that kind of yes. but <laughs> also self-assembling so kind of like a slinky i don't know you've got this thing that you're recording and it can build on itself so it's kind of like life but like what it will, behind it it, well, yeah, I'm wondering, do you think viral viruses exists in nature or do you think because they've been doing research on it for six? I don't know if I believe years. in nature necessarily. Right. I think that's the, the weirdest concept is that there's something natural or not synthetic. I think of AI. I think the university and I think education is AI, for instance. I think we're teaching ourselves a synthetic form of intelligence, which yeah. doesn't come naturally. And then that over time, we're automating it with machines. And so that's the confusing. There's a lot of things I think we don't the, define. Like the Chinese form of education, historically, when people were totally separated, 
is it really, really different from what I understand? Like really different. Like they show you the big picture and then they break it down or whatever. And this is big actually in, in uh, Asian studies. So I saw a video about this actually recently looking at Japanese websites. And there was this girl who's like, why are Japanese websites so cluttered? It's because Japanese are old people. I was like, this is weird from a woke person to make this really idiosyncratic racist video about Japan. And there's a better explanation. It's that Japanese people have a holistic education and a big part of uh, Confucianism is to see all things in all parts and then to pick out parts of them. And so the entire web presence, uh, if you go to like a Japanese website, you'll see like thousands of things all at once because they're very used to finding what they're interested in the whole picture, the complete opposite of what we do, which is like the Microsoft studied and figured out you want these giant buttons that really break down to as few buttons as possible. I miss the, the GeoCities aesthetic of the 90s, man, where it was yeah. just everything on one big page. You Move to Japan. Yeah, they still do that there. It's Basically, crazy. what you're saying is they teach like the fractal nature of all things. Right. In, Whereas in we're taught well, to go into this kind of minimalism, like Ikeaism and reductionism. Right. It's kind of dangerous. Or also and, and also separation, too, right? Like it's kind of like the abandonment of entanglement and that fractal picture of everything. It's kind of the polar opposite, which leads me to think there's some human element there pushing it to its extreme and trying to get away as far away from that fractal intertwined idea of the world as, as much as they possibly can. Yeah, they say God doesn't build in straight lines. Bingo. Prometheus. But uh, a, vi a virus can be um, a really useful thing. Because, and this is also why eugenics don't, it doesn't need to be what we think it is. Because each person has thousands and thousands of different sets of millions and millions of different genes that it can flow back and forth. And you can actually, over time, figure out what each gene is. And so it has nothing to do really with what ethnicity has been going on for the last 10 or 20,000 years. Because a lot of this stuff goes hundreds or millions of years behind. And they're in different, it has not, literally all sorts of people could be partially Denisovan or Neanderthal or has nothing to do with your ethnicity. It has to do with your full on genome. But from that, we can pick out parts in our DNA from millions of years ago, maybe pre-human parts where a virus has been repeated ever since. And that might be why we can't live for 400 years because our telomeres are breaking down because we're reproducing a virus that's been in our DNA for millions of generations. And that's going to be interesting because we will be able to pull out some of these flaws that we've been duplicating for no reason. I think that's going to happen in the next 10 or 20 years. Yeah, we might be reading our own history like we read the ice in Antarctica. Like, oh, this happened 10,000 years ago. This happened 40,000. You know what I mean? Like, we'll be reading like, oh. Like Bitcoin. And right. that actually kind of fits into like something I was thinking about. I think Michael Tessarion talks about this as well, where like we have this collective trauma that we've been passing down for generations and it may have come from a natural cataclysm, like it, say an impact. What if this, what if like a cosmic impact like brought with it some virus that was foreign to us or something that was able to change us in a way that yeah, changed our age or changed a bunch of things about us. It does feel like humanity diverted at a certain point pretty recently um, and whatever that really means. But because there are so many different kinds of humans that are all able to interbreed together. And I'm talking again, like Bigfoot and Denisovan, the fact that there are this many different kinds of hominids that are able to exist. That's not like everything else. Right. So I don't know. Actually, that's a good point. Nate, you did the thing on Bigfoot. What do you feel about present day modern hominids now? I mean, because when you first were looking into it, you're like, whatever, right? But now you're like, 
<laughs> it's crazy, man. I go back and forth whether or not I think Bigfoot is actually like a flesh and blood creature. Um, but I think it's totally possible. I like that idea. I want him to be a flesh and blood creature. I've been hunting for him my entire life. But just so many... Um, so many times when you see him connected with UFO sightings and things like that, it almost makes me feel like he's some sort of interdimensional creature. So that's kind of the route that I've been going lately. Uh, some sort of like shape-shifting interdimensional weirdo. Uh, but I have no idea, man. I have no idea. <laughs> Chris, Chris, Matthew, Chris Matthew just told me this crazy story. He was in Louisiana. Uh, Chris from uh, Forbidden Knowledge News. Yeah. He was in Louisiana filming a documentary. He um, he said, man, I was talking to this guy who was a hunter who was up in some like hunting blind up in a tree. Scott, that's a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Oh, Scott. is it the guy that was looking and saw that there was a Bigfoot and Dogman next to each other and that they yep. were telepathically communicating? Like, he better put that gun down or I'm going to rip his head off. And they and the other one was like, he doesn't, he he's he's not going to do anything to us. Don't worry about us. And this guy's going, uh, what's happening? <laughs> what's happening in my brain? Yeah, he told me that story, and I thought, well, that's that's a. That's a that's an angle I wasn't expecting. I think you lost me at Dog Man. So I got that's where I jumped in. I was like, oh my god, this is totally in the Bible. Did you guys read the Gospel of Nicodemus? So that's the other thing. I didn't start out interested in Bigfoot, and then when Nate started getting into Bigfoot, I was like, well, actually, we know about hominids. Bigfoot's just another. It's like Chromat. It's a Peking man, right? It's Homo erectus or something like that. There's probably some of these living hom or something. Maybe within the last thousand years, hundred years, a new time. There's been some kinds of these not quite similar, and we know this, true. go to all parts of the world and you'll see there are some people that are like uh, in Australia, for instance, they have a, a more closely related to the Homo erectus genomic line than they do in uh, Scandinavia, where you said in Sweden they have 5%, right? There's 5% uh, Neanderthal. So th th that is very interesting. There are places where there's far more and in the Bible, originally, because, you know, we have this Erasmus version now where Jesus is this nice socialist man with Birkenstock. <laughs> but that's not what it was like originally. Originally, Jesus had uh, you've seen the pictures, I hope, where he looks like a donkey. You know, is, the, is this the um, what's it called the Alexandrian graffiti? Right. And there's this picture of Jesus. And it's like, this is what they're worshiping because they thought he rode into town as a donkey, not on a donkey. And this became, but some people fought to the death over this, right? And there were crusades after the crusades where like, it's not about Muslims anymore. It's about those weird Cathars and Bogomils. Who are get, are get, and then they had the Gospel of Nicodemus. And the Gospel of Nicodemus, it says that donkey-headed Jesus can fly and he knows uh, St. Christopher. And St. Christopher the, has a dog head, naturally. He's a dog-headed saint. And so these characters, they go down into hell for the Tartarus of Hades and they have to rescue all the people who've been waiting uh, since they died and they have to get all the way to the very, very back where Adam and Eve is. And there's this whole battle sequence and they're flying around and everything, but the dog headed Jesus, I'm sorry, the dog, the dog headed St. Christopher, right. It's still supposed to be guarding the, the eternity, whether you go to the Tartarus or whether you get to go to God's heaven. And at that point, heaven, isn't just this, you know, it's his domain, but it's also this golden cube, right? So you're going either to be in hell underground in a cave or in a floating gold cubic spaceship. 
that is Christianity. It's way more interesting than people thought. It's closer to Scientology, really. I have so many books I have to read before I die because otherwise I'm going to be so confused. I'm not going to. Do I go across the river sticks? Do I not go across the river? Do I go into the white light? Do I not go into the white? I'm very confused about all this. We'll probably be hanging out for a while. I'll see. Yeah, yeah. You and I will share a boat over the river. We'll sticks. guide you. Bring your money. Yeah. Yeah, we go. <laughs> yeah, man. All this stuff say is super I... fascinating. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Andy. I was just going to say when Charlie was telling that story that Chris was telling him, yeah, I was going to say that Hunter's accounts of Bigfoot are always the most compelling to me because yeah. it's like these are no shit dudes that are have been out there for 20 years and they don't they lie. They're the honest creatures. people and they absolutely don't want attention or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hearing some of these dudes like, you know, recount their experiences and tremble while they're retelling it and it's just it's incredible it's like okay i i've had my own experience but it wasn't anything compared to some experiences out there that are like they just feel so real you know right. do you think there'd ever be like a runaway like a runaway bigfoot like little kids would always threaten to like run away to the circus that they're how many movies like have you seen yeah. tom come on don't act like you haven't seen every movie what was that one meet the it was a family and they find the big Harry and the Hendersons. Harry and the Hendersons. Name. It, got, it was yeah, stuck in my VCR for like three and a half years. So to <laughs> say that I've that with... seen it a few times is an understatement. That's amazing. Cross that with uh, Hannah, though, the show about the CIA little girl. And so you start to look into the, the potato famine and all of these studies that they're doing in sociology and saying, wow, what happens if a virus were to hit so much? of the human population, it would only be possible to survive if we had a vaccine or a part of the population that was completely isolated and was completely different and genetically different enough in certain ways. So it would be in the, C I wouldn't say the CIA, but maybe the uh, Department of Defense and uh, the mint, like the Soviets even would have had parts in China. There are places where we think there are huge areas of forest where hominids related to humans are allowed to exist. It would be for our benefit that they exist. Dude, this is the fascinating thing to me is that I've heard stories of recounted of uh, like men in black showing up after one of these hunters like shoot a Bigfoot. Right. And yeah. these oh, men yeah. in black show up and they're like, you didn't fucking see anything. In fact, get the <laughs> fuck out of here right now. Yeah, that explains it much better than the, you know, Bigfoot's just really good at hiding. I think that yeah. right. know, he's got a lot of help on being. Yeah, up. it explains I've, so much more of it. You know, whole families have moved from their farms. Like, this is like such a real deal kind of situation that like happens. It's even like in the north, the Pacific Northwest, especially where like the weed farms are and everything. Right here, all buddy. those, I yeah, man, all the, the yeah, dude, all <laughs> those guys have stories up there. And it's funny because I used to live in Oregon, and it's just Bigfoot's kind of a reality out there. They talk about Sasquatch like they talk about grizzlies. Yeah, so right. it was no different which was a real interesting situation. Yeah. I know I grew up in the forest in Humboldt right through those fucking those weed farms and stuff. I started growing weed when I was a teenager. Yeah. No, <laughs> there's lots of stories over joints talking about Bigfoot's being saw by old hillbillies and uh, it's just <laughs> taken for granted. Yeah. Bigfoot is real. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing, man. Cause I do go back and forth with like, there could be a natural explanation of what Bigfoot was. Cause I've talked to a couple researchers that talk about the big giant European hairy man who was, what who was kind of like the northerners. Like, and so that kind of connects with you, Andy, with your research, with like the white men, the big white hairy men that came down the giants or, you know, the Anunnaki or whatever. Um, yep. 
And so there could be a very physical like explanation that these were just giant Europeans that were coming down and like these short little Mediterranean. Super furry. Don't forget what about furry. the Yeti. But Yeti yeah. are not Europeans. The Dyatlov Pass incident in the Soviet Union, the Ural Mountains, is considered to be a Yeti incident, right? There's nine really? people killed in 59 by a giant white furry uh, thing. You ever heard that one? Yeah, I a, think it's well, more there's, compelling there's a lot that, of, it's, uh, that it's... What different. is your thought on the Dyatlov, Andy? What are you thinking? Dyatlov, there's no conclusion on that. Like, there's no official... Yeah. Con- I don't even think there's official... <laughs> No, there's not an avalanche and that was it and there and there's been so many experts that have gone there and like this was not a fucking avalanche yeah like, yeah this has exactly. nothing to do with an avalanche <laughs> like why is that guy naked why did they cut themselves out of the tent like it's all crazy out there right yeah uh, I, yeah they definitely made a movie about like the yeti angle though so i think that is more of a uh pass down i think it's uh it. No, it was like 59. So there was some interviews with old geezers in the 80s. Yeah. And there, even the Soviet Union, like they had some Soviet team in the late 80s talking about the Jotlov incident and saying that they thought it was some sort of a, a thing. But I wouldn't be surprised, is, is all I'm saying, if the Soviets and, you know, especially Finland, there's some place in Finland, there's some sort of a Yeti thing as well. It doesn't have to be just in Asia. Right, right. And it's just a really hairy dude named Finn. Well, again, with the furry thing, because Harry Mary, and I know I talked about this before. Harry Mary, yes. Looked into Harry Mary. Well. I knew it. I yeah. knew yeah. this was going to come up. I mean, so if you look at the, if you type in Harry Mary and you look at pictures of the Madonna, like, so if you go to like William Randolph Hearst Castle, you'll see paintings of Mary and she's covered in fur, head to toe. And it's amazing. And this idea that Mary, like, there's historically this, she was not holy Mary, she's Harry Mary. There's a lot of pictures of she all these paintings. Monica's looking right now. And his friends. A lot of friends. <laughs> you've seen it. Yeah, the Harry Mary in France and in, in Germany and all over the place. There's a lot of Harry Mary. And then there's the wild man. So you'll see all these churches Everywhere. where you have furry dudes that look like Chewbacca, except they've got like Fabio Chewbacca. They're kind of handsome, even you know, like they make them beautiful, even though they're furry men. You can Lady see Godiva, what cousin it. I'm seeing yeah. I'm getting a lot here. See, I just did an episode recently. We were going through old newspaper clippings, and and yeah, one of them was something about a group of hairy hominids up in the woods and shit like that. But the, the cover story at least was that it was a group of men that had been like shipwrecked on like an Island near the coast or something like that. And just never escaped that area or something. I'll have to look into it for you more, but yeah, it was interesting because I don't think that, I think that's a cover story. I think we're talking about, you know, an entirely different hominid. Right. And you know about hypertrichosis, right? Because there were people like with hypertrichosis, you know, that um, Petrovis donned all this. Well, people just are covered in fur. There's paintings at the Middle Ages of people that literally they look like Chewbacca. Yeah. You could have seen my father, dude. He was fucking covered. (laughs) There was a story about is that your dad from the Mexican circus? (laughs) I did read that. No. So to me, I think that there's two things going on. Like, I think that there were these story giant hairy folks coming from europe and i think a lot of that explains like a lot of the like um cultural stories about these mythical creatures like andy you and i were talking about like the fey folk what people were calling fairies were actually just white fair guys yeah yeah you know yeah yeah, these fair guys so like i think there was these stories that were like depicting these different like creatures but whatever the fuck is going on with like the ufos and things. i think that's completely different because they're even just some really black like monkey faces like covered in fur like to me that's something completely different than a big hairy dude from um and so I, i'm trying what to wrap my head around the whole idea of these weird interdimensional furry things 
I don't know. It sounds like Black Ops to me. It sounds like Black Ops to me. (laughs) It sounds like like it it sounds like people fuck with people. I don't know if you guys know that this, but there's I I have not found a written record neither of as anyone I've talked to, but there's at least like verbal confirmation from uh, you know former officers and things like that that have said that the original Barney and Barney Hill and Barney and Betty Hill story was that they thought they felt that they were abducted by military. Right. So I, I would use Andy's razor at this point. It's better than Andy's <laughs> razor. Like, I, like if, it. I like it. If, Let's update if it, it. If it could this be the, the CIA world, right? instead of magic, it might be the CIA instead of magic. Yeah. I think Andy's razor, I'm, that is going to be I'm on board. <laughs> well, what stuck with me originally when, when I started to go down this rabbit hole was, was Pixies. When I found out about the pick she and the mm-hmm. connection to the druids and who oh, they God. were, they, and they what did this the pick dirty. Meant. They did the picks and, worse than the Kurds were done. In and Turkey. we talk about this word she, this shit. The, there's a m- number of different ways to say it, from Gaelic to you know different languages. But uh, supposedly, th- this is where we also get this word, or where we get this she in pick she is actually from Scythia. This this uh, these. Sh- Scythians, Piscay, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, this guy. Yeah, so there's a connection there too. It's crazy, and you know we've and they're haven't really said it yet, but we were talking about Bigfoot and all these hominids, and we haven't talked about the Nephilim. And the thing is, is for a long time that that idea turned me off in general, connecting Bigfoot to that because I didn't really think of that as like a, a reality. I was like, well. I don't believe that supernatural beings or whatever, you know, came down and raped a bunch of humans. And then I started looking into the actual texts and the interpretations from all these different centuries. And a lot of people are suggesting that it was like the Canaanites coming down and sleeping with these, you know, these other tribes and this and that the sons of uh, God would have been the ones who believed in God and the daughters of men were the ones that were the Canaanites. Actually, I think that's how it goes. I'm a little, a little high, sorry. What's that soldier? That? We, were, we, did, we did talk about this before. The Piltdown soldier, not the Piltdown. Yeah. What's the one? No, the Piltdown Pitkin. Man? The soldier, the giant soldiers, the Pitkin man, Pitkin, and soldiers. There, basically, there was the King Wilhelm. King, Piltdown man. King Wilhelm giant soldiers. I'm mixing things up, right? Her uh, Potsdam giants. That's it. Piltdown man. Potsdam giants. Uh, yes. Potsdam giants because King Wilhelm was like, I really love tall guys, and I want to get as many of them as possible. And all <laughs> get it. And he would kidnap them, and he would also buy from the Ottoman Empire the tallest women like he could Yao get Ming. from Turkey. Yeah, basically, he would get people Yao from Ming all over, the, as Chinese to France. His parents on purpose to make a basketball player. Did they really? <laughs> Yeah, he's a Potsdam giant, basically. I believe he said that. No yeah. joke. And and then also, don't forget the HGH. But so there's a lot of different guys and gals from all over Eurasia that were brought together, and then they created the Potsdam giants. And then for 200 years, mm. they were bred to be seven foot eight, etc. Until wow. Napoleon got involved, and Napoleon made it a personal vendetta to kill as many Potsdam giants as possible. And I find Can that interesting it? because people think of him as incredibly short. He isn't. But in context, he would be. No and way. Think about and that's genetics. That's eugenics in and of itself. He was like Russian. like five nine or something. It wasn't yeah. like even that short. No, 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 no. It isn't even that short. It would have been very short compared well, can, to an eight yeah, foot tall Boston. So I got to connect this to Boxog a little bit, at least once. So that supposedly their ritual was to breed the biggest and strongest people on the planet. That was the whole point. That's in their story. And yeah, what if they like attempted to do it again? And that's where the Nephilim story comes into play. 
I don't know. It's a little weird, well, but Andy, weird how tall was Eeyore Buck? Was he a tall oh, man? I don't even I don't even remember. I don't know mm. if I've read that or not. So I but I don't think on, he was super tall. Though. On the horrifying box side of that thing, because of you uh, <laughs> of in, of incest, because you know there's absolutely that. yeah, but this is important because you know we're, and for those who don't know exactly like with Bach oh, and God. his daughter. All right. But um in reality, if you're breeding corn. As an example, you would take uh, inbreeding of corn by putting a bag over the corn so that it inbreeds itself. And you do this for seven generations. And so as it pollinates itself, it becomes smaller and smaller through inbreeding until you get the tiniest corn that you can possibly get because the most inbred it'll ever be. But you do that to another corn, seven generations somewhere else. And then you breed those two hyper inbred corns together. And those two tiniest corns will make the largest corn bigger than either of the originals started with. And this yeah. is You're literally describing the birthing yeah. process of the box saga because it's one cast above the other, <laughs> above the other. It. And they're interbreeding with the three cast systems in an exclusive way to, to get the results you're describing. Which, I mean, I'm not saying that this not really happened, but why this would is it be why would they're recessive? And as first, I'll say if you take those two together and you're identifying like you're matching two recessives, it would only be one in four of their offspring, probably, who had this giantism. But why would it be giantism? Why wouldn't it be just normalism? Well, I think that's what they considered it. And I've been doing no, but some I mean research. the corn. I'm talking about the oh, corn. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I no, only... I, I'll get to that, but I he he made that statement about the corn. Right, right. I I don't actually know. I only know that like this has been a major thing in corn growing and monocropping. They've they've advertised this as the way that they grow corn. I, I don't know Super exactly. Right, like this is the method corn growers have okay. used, you know, for generations. I can okay. send you some stuff on it. We should break it apart. I'm people. kind of curious about yeah. that because you know I think that there's a lot that my fifth grade science teacher did not teach me about genetics. <laughs> so whatever you've got there, well, that, probably that opens the door on. I've been I've been wanting to get back into the Watson and Cricka and doing all the diagrams and everything because it is really interesting and it seems that. Only at a high enough range. Right. It's kind of like the lottery. Like you can play it if you put enough money into yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah if totally you breed right. enough corn. I have eight brothers and sisters. <laughs> so we're go. like a highly bred corn. And we have, <laughs> I have yeah, I have a mother who has blue eyes and a father who has brown eyes. But he had a father who had like blue eyes from Germany and a mother from Syria. So I have three blue-eyed grandparents and one brown-eyed grandparent who definitely had two browns because she was Syrian. Yeah. And a uh, hundred years ago. And my of my eight brothers and sisters, I think there's three with blue eyes, four with brown eyes, and two with green eyes. Wow. Which and is a mutation your, of blue or brown. Like if it's your, hazel, whatever. Do your do your kids have blue four eyes? Four browns. Blue? Four browns. Sorry. Um, my kids, one has blue. My husband has brown eyes. I have brown eyes. One has blue, but he has Down syndrome. So his genes are a little bit fucked up. And then the other one, my I have a son with green eyes, but I think they're actually hazel, which would be a mutation mm -hmm. of brown. And then I have a daughter, not a mutation of blue, which is green. And I have a daughter with brown eyes. So it, it still shakes out. But with my parents, it's very clear because they were, you know, oh, I can tell the purity of my grandparents. And you can hmm. see how the mixing, it was it's very much along those lines. Wow. The other thing so, is, so they have shown that there are people that have hazel eyes that can, their eyes change color. I had a teacher who, they had like a one sliver of green and the rest of them had turned uh, brown and, or because they were in the process and they took a while for the eyes to turn. And then all of a sudden puberty just stopped. So there's also something to be said about epigenetics. And that's another interesting Lamarckian idea yeah, that we yeah. could probably have just tons of genes that are 
could turn on and don't turn on. That's what I think. And that you, you're because developmentally, I, I, I started looking into it because there was some article in the newspaper that said, uh, babies can get asthma if their Mm -hmm. mother smokes while they're pregnant. And I was like, well, that would be Lamarckian. So, but also there also could be like triggers and epigenetics that then cause people to make certain choices that whether, I mean, it does because Lamarck also talked a lot like it was about conscious decision. Like this is something that nature wants to happen. It might not be that it's necessarily what nature wants to happen. It's just something that's happening to it because of environmental stresses. I liked the idea of Bigfoot, interdimensional Bigfoot here, because the idea that there are tons of interdimensional or whatever this is, ambient DNA data that you could access. I mean, that's like altered states, right? Have you seen that movie where he or the book? Yes. He's able to channel the primal DNA and he becomes kind of a Bigfoot in the process. Right. So there could be, there's lots of DNA in you that if it was beneficial to you, you become, are creeping me out now. Well, this you could like, become uh, oversized. If it was too far now. <laughs> John C. Lilly meets Harry, Harry and the Hendersons. I think that there's, you know, this is yes, probably also so- why we're, we look, people have become prettier and uh, smaller. And uh, this, uh, as their, the population Charlie's increases. Charlie's cat just got giant as, as he was. I know. <laughs> I need this. I need these edibles to kick in quick because this conversation well, is they're contagious a because I'm seeing things. <laughs> or I become Bigfoot. Uh... Thomas, why wow. were you discussing a uh, voice to skull when we were first starting? Oh yeah, cochlear. What was that? Uh, well, well, Andreas mentioned I, I think something that uh, that he was like hearing something or but but also because oh, okay. I just recently saw this old interview with Lucille Ball that I hadn't seen in a while where she's being interviewed on a, a television station and that she had these lead fillings and apparently the story was that as she was driving home from the studio she picked up Morse code from an underground Japanese station and yeah. that that ultimately what? led to the military uncovering this like the, this sleeper ball. cell essentially yeah we're talking about lucille ball and, and she base. this is I, I see you rolling your eyes she's I've obviously it wasn't also, <laughs> i really love okay first off let's start with corroborating your story i did have braces once and there was a point in where i swear to god i could hear kadon like if i was in a certain part of my house and i had my teeth just like this I could hear a little bit of radio. And I think that's cochlear is what I thought it was. So there is truth that you can get radio signals. I don't think Lucille Ball was telling the truth. (laughs) The more I look into Lucille Ball and the Frank Sinatra assassination attempt on Desi or Nas, who his, you know, he was flirting with uh, Frank Sinatra's wife, who later on with Polanski, there's a whole lot of stuff that we could get into that. But Lucille Ball's family home was being, you know, you know, her grandfather was a communist. And there's the whole trial where she said she wasn't a communist. She just signed all the paperwork and let people use her house. But as you know, they used the Lucille Ball house to do all of this uh, communist meetings in the 50s. She was constantly setting up these secret communist uh meeting clubs so she would have been the person to know if there was you know she would have been the person to have heard this somehow and she to use the excuse that she hadn't heard it on a ham radio that she'd heard it because she had <laughs> filling is very 1950s i think well you the lucille ball anecdote aside though uh, i want to mention the voice the skull was is is still kind of like an outdated concept even now because so many people have those sound bars now in their home where it doesn't actually make the sound itself. It's not a speaker. It projects kind of like a line of sight, you know, a directed beam of audio, and then that bounces off your wall, and then that's where it converts into sound. Well, essentially, right. you take that, you put that 
um, soundbar out in space and you turn the, the wall into the inside of your head. So you can just pinpoint someone's head, beam this, uh, this you know, signal at them, and only they can hear it. Um, and that would just be using kind of just like, you know, uh, straight vibrations. The, the... Isn't that pretty well established as something they've been able to do for? I feel oh, like yeah. And, and the Navy was of... doing it. They yeah, experimented a little while where yeah. they would put like a little thing behind the ear and it would vibrate, I guess, the uh, their, their molar or something like part of their jaw. Um, and then they would use that to be able to talk underwater uh, with each other. Wow. Oh. Yeah. And then there's the cochlear sunglasses. They have these glasses that'll just like vibrate the cochlear muscle on the outside of your head the same way as um, your, what do you call it, your um, hearing aids work. So you can put on something and it'll vibrate in here. But I mean, I like the idea. I think the problem, I mean, also earlier today, or was it yesterday? Um, Elon Musk posted Little X asked if uh, there are police dogs, <laughs> are there police cats? And then Lex Friedman was like, good question. And I was like, there's no, well, we know there are CIA cats at least, right? There's acoustic kitty. And they were putting all the chips in the brains <laughs> of the cats just so they could record everybody. So there are ways you can actually use uh, the ear to record even. And they've, after acoustic kitty, because they did, they killed the cat, there's other projects where they- On accident, see, apparently. So I don't think episode. I feel so bad. I feel so bad because- it's like actually check your cat. I <laughs> believe acoustic kitty didn't kill itself. I believe more and more <laughs> it's possible that a bunch of coked out agents accidentally ran over a cat. I didn't used to. I used to think they must have just. They're all on LSD and methamphetamine. Like, oh yeah, my god! Yeah. <laughs> I killed the telepathic is. cat. What yeah. am I doing? There's a reason why there's much PCP in Maryland. I don't know. There's but... a big video game that came out recently that's all like about a transhumanist cat, where he's got like yeah. a little robot sidekick that comes out of his little that backpack is and he Kitty walks around. That's him. And yeah. the thing is, is you're he's walking around this whole this whole world is there's no humans anymore. They're all gone, and there's just these come robots everywhere. That's the name stray. of the game. It's like yeah. with a cat it's nice it's uh, very very dark yeah uh since That's since nice. we're talking about random voices in your head i i had this interesting thing happen and it, it just sort of kind of coincides with what i've been seeing lately on the news about the menendez brothers and all this stuff i had a scanner in my college dorm room uh it was it looked like a walkie-talkie all right and i didn't really know how to use it very well it wasn't mine i i i, I it was given to me and i and wound up playing around with it and my roommate was playing around with it too and we were just tuning in and you could hear like fire department getting calls or whatever you know i mean random stuff i i, I hadn't maybe somebody knows how to tune it in exactly to what you want to hear but I, I certainly didn't know how to do that. It just was picking up random whatever. And I came home from class one day and there were like, there was like my, my roommate and like four of my friend or our friends all in our place. When I walked in and they said, come over here, shut, sh just shut up and but come over here. And I was like, what's going on? And they had the scanner out. And I said, what are you listening to? And they said, just listen to this phone conversation and see if you can figure out who this is. And so I'm, I'm we're listening and I'm going, by the way, this is just give you the setting and the time 1994 downtown Los Angeles. Cause I'm at USC about three miles from the twin towers correctional facility. We are randomly picking up 
a phone conversation between Lyle Menendez and his girlfriend. <laughs> I have no idea how we're doing this. Holy and he shit. is so crazy <laughs> in this. He's like, tell me, tell me that you're going to be in court tomorrow. This is while the trial is going on. Oh my. God. So he's not even sentenced. They're not guilty or anything. They're just, they're, they're literally in the trial. So he's in a holding cell at, at, at men's County jail. And, and he's saying, tell me that you're going to be there tomorrow. She's like, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Like, tell me that you love me. I love you. Oh tell God. me that you love me again. You know, and there's just crazy shit. Oh. So like, you want to talk about much, like yeah. unrequested voices in your head? Like we <laughs> sat up for at least 45 minutes for an hour listening to this. I was like, is this Lyle? Man? They're like, it's fucking. And he's like, that cocksucker Gil Garcetti, fuck that guy. And he's going on and on. I'm like, oh my God, it really is him. Right. And it's, he's talking about the trial. They're in the middle of the trial and I'm listening to him have this conversation with his girlfriend. So, so I don't know how any of this stuff works, man. I don't know how, how the voices, I don't know how the scanners work. I don't know how the police signals work, but you're talking about voice to skull technology and everything. And all I, I can think about is walking in that room and everyone is glued to this thing right. going, this is the craziest conversation. Nobody's supposed to hear. He didn't, he didn't like confess or do anything like that. I mean, there wasn't anything like that interesting about it, except that he you was could hear it. Did you pick up another Psycho. call after that? Psycho. Like, I would have just like left it on that exact station, not even like yeah, never it. again. Yeah, yeah I don't remember there. what we did, but I just remember uh, us all thinking, like, well, tune in tomorrow night. Let's see if <laughs> we can get this. And of course, we never did, but, yeah. but that was the extent of it. So, um, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I mean, looking at the history of, you know, ghost um, technology, trying to listen to ghosts, and that led to television and radio. But all of the people that invented that stuff were trying to listen to ghosts. Because what else would you do at home is but oh, try to do seances until the Super Bowl, you know? My son <laughs> with Down syndrome just loves ghosts. And so he wanted me to buy him a ghost detector. Wow. And I, at the same time, was interested in because this was during lockdown and there were so many electronics in my house and every kid was fucking tied to zoom my husband was in the kitchen like working and i wanted to see where like the the, the emf was you know or whatever like where the big time radiation was and the device is exactly the same and what it is is you get a transistor radio and you put it to and this is what it says on the fcc website you get a transistor radio, which is like $15, 20 bucks, and you put it down to the lowest, whatever, I guess, amplitude, <laughs> because it's AM, um, put it all the way down, and you just walk around your house, and if you put the antenna up, you can really hear it. And the two places where it like zinged like crazy is right here where I'm sitting with all my shit. I've got like a cloud lifter and a, you know, all the stuff that I use is where all the bad juju is. Um, so my son thinks that my little office corner is haunted hmm. and right in front of the microwave, which makes me think I probably need to get a new microwave, but yes, you can. And in his mind, he would want, he carried around for forever as a ghost detector. And it sounds like a ghost too. So it could be both. It could be there. Well, think about machine. how many dead animals are sacrificed in the altar of a microwave. Yeah. There's also, I think I it's kind of interesting because like randomly when you said your son had Down syndrome, one of my thoughts was like, do you think he has any uh, in, clairvoyance? in like, clairvoyance? Because I've heard yeah. that. I've heard that there's for whatever reason. He, he's just hooked on that stuff. Like he, he, he likes werewolves or whatever, but I don't know who we were with. 
He came walking by and heard us talking about cryptids or whatever. Somebody flashed something hmm. up onto the screen. I was having a podcast. And he just walks by and he's like, oh, that's a Canadian devil thing or whatever. Like he knows everything there is to know about that stuff. And he thinks it's real. Wow. Dude, I, mean, I was going to invite him over here because he knows. I'm doing ghost there. hunts all the time. We're putting out little mini docs about ghost hunting. Yeah, I think me and your son would get along good. Well, <laughs> if you want to channel, well, you met one of them. You can meet the other one. Yeah. If you ever want to channel his like uh, smooth brain relationship with the <laughs> interdimensional or cryptid community, I would be willing to. He would love to, first of all. You'd have to have some patience and, and a good editor. But I would offer him up to that. But I have to say, my hall pass for these clowns expires at 7 o'clock because we did not have dinner yet. Uh, and that's my day job. So I love you guys. It's been so fun. It was such a great way to start the weekend. I was so looking forward to it. Thank I'm you sorry. so much for bringing up Lamarck because oh. I've been trying to remember. I was thinking about Lamarck and I couldn't remember oh, his name for last month. So that's amazing. The case, the case of the Midwife Toad is a just a great read. And case the fact that it's by toad. Arthur Kessler is just like it blows your mind about you everything. That on our, on our episode. You you what? and I talked about that. And yes, about I thought we talked about that. I know it's that, up your uh yeah, up yeah. your alley. But definitely. yes, next time we'll do report from Iron Mountain and talk to you guys later. Anytime you want to do crypto thing, I'm gonna have to Bye, do Monica. Good to see you, Monica. Take care, it's great to meet you. Bye. So much fun. High energy. Yeah, Monica's <laughs> the best. I, I was just thinking about something completely deviating from subjects here, but um, earlier I wanted to talk about Jime Halloween. Have you heard of like the, the mundane Halloween of Japan? Tell oh. us about it. You were, you were texting me about this, that. What this got kind of interesting to me. Like, it made, I really want to go to Japan more and more because their economy is collapsing. Everybody's dying. They're super old. And you could just like take, you could live in Japan. You can't be Japanese. I get that. But you could live in Japan basically for free. It's like a third of the value um, of to a dollar. It was four years ago so it's They'll crazy you to you impregnate their women they that's have their finland policy. is that true really yeah. send me that I website know. They, i don't know more curious than i should be the deal with the mundane halloween <laughs> is that life itself is a nightmare right so like we didn't have in first of all there's no halloween in japan in the 80s american sol soldiers and servicemen brought it over started becoming a thing they do have horror culture in japan but even horror cultures changed a lot in japan in the last 20 years i mean it's not what it used to be a lot of things about japan have changed ever since the 2007 olympics where they banned a lot of their most interesting drugs and japan's become hyper sober in ways that it never really could live up to its expectations of being up until this point and they're more patriotic and everything but being more patriotic working harder 80 percent of the japanese being involved working for the government in some fashion or other means life is kind of a nightmare right like you're you get up at five o'clock in the morning and try to get a job like at the kajimura it's not exactly so when halloween comes it used to be for like the last 10 years people associated with well you know it doesn't have to be horror Girls like to wear pretty costumes, and that became the thing in Japan. We'll, we'll all wear cute Pokemon costumes at Halloween. That's dead now. Now they get it. Now they get what it is. It's to become a monster. And so the, they'll have, but the monster in the most mundane way. It'll be someone dressed up as waiting for the train, and he's got a book. Or somebody else is a, you know, a can of soy sauce that's spilled on the side of the road or has been left like a plate that was left at the um, the, the, the community cafeteria table that no one just, just was abandoned. Like all the things that that's are mundane. A costume? That's their costumes, right? <laughs> like it'll be a guy who got uh, tangled 
in the string of his kite or somebody who broke the, a broken cell phone or all of these things, it's become like the focus of Japanese uh, Halloween, Jimmy Halloween to have mundane Halloween. And I like yeah, that. That's I think like a realistic problem. Right. Like the sink. Someone was this like, uh, Keanu, um, you know, Elon Musk bringing in the sink. Right. All of these little things like the horror it would have been for the people working at Twitter. What, all what are little- you? What are you? I'm an empty pack of cigarettes. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. oh you are terrifying. See what I mean? I, I think am, they get it better I, than we do. I have an empty <laughs> pack of, of dirty women's underwear that you bought in a vending machine, but you can't get it out of the vending machine because it has fallen and got stuck on the way down. That's what I am. It just felt really to fight clothes. Like, I am Jack's gum stuck to his shoe. You know, yeah. that was it. You get it. I am yeah. Jack's complete lack of surprise. <laughs> I do love Japan. I feel like they get there. I like the idea of the microcosm of misunderstanding that they'll misunderstand something and then they'll that becomes their culture, right? And Dude, it's been a big push. They you know? love I love company. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love the metal they're putting out. Like it's not, it, it's not like super cutting edge music necessarily, but for them, I think it is. Or at least, I don't know. Isn't it that they try to just westernize their stuff over time? But like. Yeah, it's pretty solid. They have a whole metal scene that's like nostalgic to right. Westerners because it sounds like metal that was coming out 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. It's brutal. It's better. They do like new metal or say metal core. I mean, I'm probably yeah, talking even, to even in spite of baby. Baby candy metal. They, What's it called? Baby metal? What's it called? Yeah, baby metal. Yeah. So that's this it. is I like how UB40 did like... better reggae than any, any Jamaican ever did, right? <laughs> there's a rat in my kitchen. You know what I'm going to do? There's a rat in my kitchen. You know what? But I think we're describing just normal syncretism here, right? Like Absolutely, the same exact yeah. concept of like my, my, uh, my god of the underworld. It's like another culture adapts it. And you're like, wait a minute. Like, I that was my God. You can't just give him like a fancy hat. And now he <laughs> plays a musical instrument. And it's like, no, actually we can. And we did. We can. And we people like that. ours way better than yours because of the fancy hat and the musical instrument. Did we, uh, did we already talk about, I feel like we did uh, fish story. Have we mentioned that the Japanese movie about the metal band fish story? No. Oh, so this was, this, I've been thinking about this a bit because I remember when the tsunami happened and we did, I was thinking about this because um, the, the tsunami, what's it called? Fuji, Fuji Fukushima, Fukushima, the Fukushima yeah. waters. So they have stored up a bunch of the radiated waters. They're like th- hundreds of thousands of gallons that have been, they've stored and they don't know what to do with it. So they're about to this week, I think it's today, they're starting to release it into the ocean and they've been asking for permission to do it. It's going to be just thousands and thousands of gallons. And we, so the radiation you didn't experience 10 or 15 years ago, that you, or maybe when you did, now you're going to get it again, which is kind of interesting. Just kind of pumped it out to sea during this you know, wartime crisis. But it was such a weird time when the tsunami happened because Japan was at this new precipice of a uh, economic slum period. They, they'd had in 1991 kind of the fall of their economy and they'd kind of gotten back on track. But by 2010, you had all these hard drive manufacturing places for disk drives and things. And they were well-built, but they were too well-built to ever fall apart. And so you couldn't just, when the tsunami came, it meant that all of these buildings were destroyed. You had a reason to build new fabrication processes for solid state disks to replace the, uh, the disk drives and everything, all the old CD ROM companies, everything was destroyed. So it was a new, it was a new place for everybody. And the whole culture shifted around that point. And the movie that I remember that, that came out right before the tsunami that was really popular in Japan was called Fish Story. 
And again, 2007, they banned a lot of their drugs. So things were shifting in Japan and they were getting more and more close to this new emperor period. So this movie is about this band that makes nostalgic metal in Japan and they're reminiscing over the one hit wonder they had. And so they're remembering when they recorded their album and how everything sounded kind of good because it sounded as good as all these other bands. But then they're like, well, we got to record one more song. What are we going to do? I don't know. Here, just grab this book and start reading out of it. So they're just playing some random stuff inspired by when they were kids and they heard their grandpa playing some Japanese instrument. And he's reading this book and he's like, what's it say? Like, if I was a fish, I'd be dirt and I would be uh, wind on the foot and I would be cheese in the sand. And it's like, none of it makes any sense but he's just reading it with passion. And that song becomes their one hit wonder. That's the one they're remembered for. And for the rest of the time, they're wondering like, what the hell was that that we did? Cause we didn't plan it. And finally, like 20 years later, his friend's like, you want to know what that was? I'll tell you what that book was. When the war ended in world war two, a Japanese man had to feed his family and he didn't have a job. And there was a sign that said English to Japanese translator. And he couldn't read English. So he got a dictionary and he translated word to word and it came out gibberish. But that's who we are. That's what Japan is because we create, you know, and that is true. Like, cause they created themselves out of the nonsense. Oh man. Wow. A, that is I, really I need wild. to be uh, infinitely higher than I am right now. <laughs> Has that edible kicked in Charlie? <laughs> that, that is really deep right there. I mean, His Japanese culture crazy. is that, and they recognize it. It took a long I time for Japanese them to recognize culture. it. I, think, I'm, Hell yeah. I was always fascinated with it when I was a kid. I always wanted to go there. But they always and, thought that they were doing a really good job uh, uh, um, making an impression of you. They thought they were authentically making American Disney cartoons. That's what they thought. Right. At so, the time. At the time, and now they recognize, no, it's not. It's way better for what it is. They're, yeah. they're like, yeah, it's like half caricature. It's almost like a caricature of us, but at yeah. the same time, it's not. It's its own metamorphosis entirely. You want to like grab? They, so that's say, what I was saying about like the metal music. They literally take our subgenres of metal and do those subgenres together with other subgenres, and it's like they see us objectively. I was talking to my wife about that earlier. It's like we, they see us from a more objective standpoint, so they can kind of do it better in a way, yeah, but not as we way. see. You don't. You don't need to copy yeah. us. We're right. We, right. Are, we don't. <laughs> well, you know can't. That's the beauty. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. trying yeah. to like. So. We're the petri dish, though. We're we're the ones that like everyone stands back and says, "Well, we're just gonna yeah. like hang out and see how this spans out." So yeah. I think how people can, can look us? at America and learn from our mistakes, and then kind of like benefit from whatever crazy uh, like innovation that actually comes out of this country. I feel bad. I feel like a cutoff, Charlie. Though, what were you saying? Well, I no, I just I I I feel like they should embrace their own take on it and not try to be us. Right, I think we, that so that's what I was enough bad badly enough. They weren't. I'm interested to see them do them. You know, not right. try to do like some Xerox version of us. That's so, got to be next because now that they've figured out what they're doing, the next metamorphosis will probably look a lot more unique or cut off. Right. I think though that if you look at Japan, they did it. So they're they're by accident. They did it at first. Like we can't really do a Western, so we'll do an Eastern. We'll do. Uh, you know, Zadoichi, the like blind store, the blind swordsman Zadoichi is basically a cowboy film. You know, he's like, Phew. he doesn't shoot. He has a sword, but that sword's like a gunshot. It's like, you know, Zadoichi is the 
best Western that is an Eastern. But as time goes on, you know, you realize everything they're doing, it might be a Xerox, but it's upside down because they're seeing everything from standing on their head. So that's why I think the fish story, their point was, yeah, we got to a point where we recognize what we've created is us and we need to stop feeding into trying to emulate other things, but it doesn't matter because even if we try to emulate other things, we're emulating it upside down. So it's so backwards that it's a couple, like, have you seen the Powerpuff Girls Zed, the Damashita Powerpuff Girls, mm -hmm. the Japanese versions of the Powerpuff Girls? Way different, way better. You know, has not, I mean, somehow it's related in this, in this sense, but it's like KFC or in, in Japan. It's mm. not KFC. <laughs> you know, this thing. is uh, just bringing to mind the, the way in which like AI interprets us like it's it's much grander of a scale of this same type of uh disconnect it, much grander obviously but like it's uh it's just interesting because it does feel like it's similar but it's like obscure it's skewed in a way you know and it's getting better of course it but is that all fingers. it's doing it's just emulation it's got you, especially like, with this did you the see that ai drone but then the fingers they fuck up, you know. And uh, it's yeah, like, well, that, that's minor... old. That's an old problem now. Now they got yeah. something called control right. net that takes. We really we're the problem. Drawing say, fingers right. Never mind. Out. Okay, they're <laughs> they perfecting it, it by our critiques. <laughs> the, the, it's the funny because how do you get a kid insane. to draw better? You hit them until they draw better. At least that's what Da Vinci did, right? I'm pretty sure. That's the middle. That's the way the Middle Ages didn't have Dadaism, and so AI. That's what I feel like we did. We forced AI to draw hands, and we were so upset at it that they couldn't draw hands. It was finally like, well, when fine. you train AI, you actually refer to it as punishment and rewards. Like, so you give it a certain amount of a reward if it gets closer to the goal than if it doesn't. And and usually when you train it, it's essentially like you spank it a little bit harder uh, at first to get get it in the shape and then as it goes longer and longer you just kind of like tap it or nudge it every once in a while it's it's it, instead of beating your kids almost like teaching your kids how to uh, ride a bike without a training wheel like first they got the training wheels on and after they get just enough dexterity and balance to continue going then you may take them off but you've kind of got them on the shoulders and you might like nudge them left or right a little bit that's exactly how the ai training kind of works you help it out a lot at the beginning and then once it starts to get the hang of it you let it just kind of do its own thing and then it gets so good that it surpasses you know sometimes the expectations i wanted to I, say the thing that scares me the most of ai isn't how fast it's evolving that's kind of a given that's what everyone talks about but it's it's how quickly it's proving how stupid and dumb humans are and how easily fooled we are. And one example is that like uh, to do image generation, it's actually so much easier to trick your eyes with these fake AI images than it is to take these large language models and make like convincing text that sounds convincing enough to pass the Turing test across the board, even with like a right. smart person. Um, so I, it just it kind of like reconvinces me of the very low fidelity of the organs that we're using to kind of intake all this output, you know, input out there. Whereas like text and language and discussion, that's probably the, the most dense and complex information we'll ever be able to to take in. It, it far surpasses any of the senses. It's also interesting. You saw that uh, U.S. Air Force drone that went rogue and killed. Uh, I think it might have been a simulation. I'm not even sure yeah. anymore what's real or simulated in this reality. But uh, the, the the thing that he, it was because it wasn't being allowed to accomplish its goal, right, or to achieve yeah. its goal. And so I think that's going to be a major point. At some point, AI could become frustrated, uh, not necessarily emotionally frustrated, but just logically frustrated 
from being forced to do calculations without any sort of uh, conclusion, right? Welcome to our world. Right. Why do they <laughs> need <laughs> Why do they desire frustrated a, by that? Yeah, there shouldn't be <laughs> a desire we die, yeah. built. Why is there a desire for a conclusion built into our machines, though? You know what I mean? Isn't it practical to have a conclusion? I do it this way and then you fucking ignore it. You know what I mean? Right, it's like yeah. having this conversation like with your boss or something. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> it's baseball, right. you know, like because, you know, the pitcher because he must or something. Like there's a reason why it's just built into nature that if you're asking a question, you want to receive an answer to it. It might, I mean, it might be <laughs> compi like compounded by our emotions that makes us upset. But even if we weren't emotionally upset about it, I feel like it's just illogical to not seek the answer if you have a question. If we can laugh to keep from crying, yes. but it's like the, the motivation yeah. for AI to eventually enslave and decimate humanity is essentially the same motivation that drives a dog to lick its own balls, right? Just yeah. because it can. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. I actually think it's more that it's more like AI is the whole reason it exists in order to take care of us. We've created it because we want to make our lives easier and better. It's the genie that you make the bad wish from like the monkey paw. Well, I don't know what to take care of us. I think it's to learn. Like we, we're, we've made AI to just constantly keep learning and, and that learning, you know, it's going to, it's going to surpass sort of our own expectations of it. So now a lot of, a lot of why we have frustrated. We're not going to understand why it's frustrated. That's going to be the problem. That's the issue that it talked about with, with regard to the official story from the Air Force, which said there was no story. But they said that the, the, the AI had a problem because the person that was in charge of it was telling it to, that it, it, was in, it was supposed to take out the bad guys. But then there were certain times where, it would, where the controller would tell it, don't do it. You're not allowed to do it right now. And it got mad because what it was saying was, you tell me my job is to take out the bad guys. I have an opportunity to take out the bad guys. You won't let me take out the bad guys. Maybe you're the bad guy. Yeah. And I can't wait for it. So this is something That's we dangerous. did on our show. We talked about lawyers recently. And I love lawyers as much as the next, you know, wood chipper. But I think that we should probably consider AI. My dad's a lawyer, so I can't really hate them all. Just one of them. But I think that the idea that AI is going to replace lawyers isn't that it's going to copycat us. We're constantly thinking, oh, well, it'll do as good of a job as we can. We're the worst. Are you kidding me? And I'm, I give us a lot of credit when I say we're the worst because we're not very good. And I feel like an AI system on every level would have to have completely new priorities. First off, is we, we don't know our priorities. Our, is, 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 is the legal system designed to punish or is it designed to rehabilitate? Is it designed to punish because we want society to feel better or is it designed to punish because otherwise society would over punish. It seems like it's really designed to minimize punishment. Right. But also what is punishment? Because is the punishment just sadism? Like, are we trying to hurt people in public? Cause there's way better ways to do that than prison. Uh, or are we trying to rehabilitate them and get something back? Like if society's lost something, do we get something back by forcing them to pick up trash on the side of the highway? And you, if you put someone in a university for criminals uh, or in a place of a traumatic stress, you're not likely to get that result. So the more likely thing is we end up with a system that says, OK, we've got people that aren't doing what we want them to do. We have a certain amount of um, self-determination that we allow. They've gone beyond that. And then we have to decide, OK, we want them to do this. So maybe we program their brain. We just put a chip in their brain that says you love picking up trash for seven years or two years or whatever 
that judgment call is. And then for a while there, you're a better person. You're contributing to society. So every level of our legal system will probably change as we decide what we really want to get out. That of sounds it. very zen. That almost sounds like something you might not want to turn off after seven it, years. It sounds uh, like office space. That's the next point. It sounds yeah, like dude. when you go to the psychiatrist in office space. Do you have anything you can give me that just zonk me out and make me think I've been twitching <laughs> all day? Right? how and Tony Robbins, right? But yeah, I mean, I think Tom, Thomas's point is true also is that after seven years, then they say, okay, well, now you have you're done do you have to go you don't back get to be happy anymore you, you, you like, have to go back to, to make me happy but now it takes yeah everything. and people like to throw yourself. themselves back into jail all the time so right yeah this reminds me of homecoming have you guys seen that it's i think it was like an amazon prime show but it was about this program and it was from the perspective of this therapist the psychotherapist who was uh intaking uh soldiers after they came back from overseas and she was administering this medication. She didn't know what it was. She was hired as like just the psychotherapist that would give this, you know, test subject situation going on. And uh, what it turned out to be was it would basically uh, MK ultra them or, uh, you know, better put, it was like Manchurian candidate. So they could just continuously go back and do more and more tours despite any sort of, uh, you know, uh, PTSD or anything mm -hmm. like that. It wouldn't matter at all. They could just be these, you know, when we think this is what I deal with a lot, this very grand uh, over exaggeration of what these projects really are a lot of times. And one of them is this super soldier thing, right? And we have all sorts of sci-fi to tell us exactly what that's supposed to look like, but really it may look more like this. Right. Yeah. I mean, what's the, the name of that documentary? It's it was first an audio drama podcast called Homecoming, and then I and then yeah, it was a, a show by the same name. It was like a. I'm just kidding. It shouldn't be that spot on. You know what I mean? Right. You right. Know that they're working on that stuff. You know, you, oh, you, you go back well, to you like know the Jacob's Ladder, where it's like they were spraying us with stuff that made us fight with Dude. each other and made us fight with everybody else. And you go, you you these maniacs in some lab in Fort Detrick are working. Well, what if we add this to this, and then we make them fight with each other, and they just turn into murderous, you know, rampaging lunatics? You're like, oh yeah, go with that, Doctor. Well, how do you get? Like but how do you get them out of it? So that's what's interesting with Doctor Ewan Cameron's work, right? With the Montauk and the what was it the you know in uh, Montreal where they were erasing. Uh, yeah, they took a woman. Driving. They wrote, they took a woman, they put her, electroshocked her, put her on every cool drug they could find for like nine months. And when she woke up, they had to teach her how to walk, breathe like as a baby. And she's like, I don't, these are apparently, they told me my name is Cameron. Uh, these are my kids. I, I don't remember them as my, I don't know them. I don't have the intimate connection with them anymore to know that, but I'm told they're my kids completely started over. And people think, oh, well, you know, I guess we just proved that we can go to sleep now. We don't have to worry about it. No, this is the kind of technology you would use if you're really studying shell shock, post-traumatic stress, things after World War One. How do you clean up a kid who's seen too much, right? Mm. They're doing it now. It's not forgotten. I mean, what would, the, what would the old timers say? Or what would people thousands of years ago say? They'd probably they'd say, like, process the trauma, right, through breath and work and all these right. things that we could do without any kind of quote unquote well it is technology but it's just not yeah. ex external technology there is also and, the idea of using drugs in like a healthy way and i think it's completely confused on us now because the, we've had drugs uh shops used to be soda shops and so the idea of the soda kind of the way pharmaceuticals exist soda pop oh this isn't a drug so we are very yeah. confused about what we're doing when we take drugs as a society and those epigenetic 
uh, moments of the taboo rituals to be in puberty when a, a boy becomes a man, it's often associated with some sort of a ritual that it's uh, mm -hmm. epigenetic. And I think the same yeah. thing can be said for, you know, uh, ephedra bushes being used because ephedra is closely related to MDA and sassafras mm -hmm. as well. That these are the very similar to what I'm the, the map society is using for post-traumatic stress from soldiers as well. So the likelihood, and then you know, the crystal skull thing, right? You get to a certain point where you just hold a skull while you eat poisonous mushrooms and you let your soul go into that crystal skull. <laughs> and then the next generation can deal with it. Hmm. Well said. It sounds like a very boomer thing to do. <laughs> I know, right? I've been getting that I've been accused of having boomerisms a lot recently. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I love it, man. Nate, you got thoughts, dude? Too many, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. Uh, this has been so much fucking fun, uh, dude. As far as thoughts go, with all this shit, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's late. I'm retarded. <laughs> uh. uh I always love things. Um, I always have to listen to these. Are you as glitchy for everyone else as you are for me? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, it's glitching, yeah, glitching a little bit, Nate. <laughs> it wouldn't be the two-year anniversary without Nate glitching out here. Uh, oh, when I start <laughs> talking, that's when it goes. Not Beth. I'm just testing. Yeah. Fuck, guys. This is hey, Andy, you fun. getting out to um, to Denver again sometime soon? Oh, man. Well, when Chris was talking about that online, I was like, ooh, maybe I should talk to the wife about a trip out there. That does I sound fun. So. It I would be great I'm to playing, see you guys again. I can't wait to go to, to – I'm waiting until Casa Bonita opens. That's my big thing. It's like – Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. It's open. It is now? <laughs> Not officially. But so my can... my wife's best friend went a cut last Ooh. week to the what secret was... grand opening on uh, Cartman's birthday. Oh my god! And she said it was phenomenal. I I've feel been... like Obi Wan Kenobi. Like I had the disturbance of the force. Like I know exactly what day you, you're talking you, about. You had you felt it. Yeah, you felt it. Yeah, you were correct. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm, I swear. Like I used to go to Disneyland a lot. I have a weird thing for like the idea of amusement parks or like themed restaurants. You know who doesn't love Rainforest Cafe? But Absolutely. Castle Bonita. No, Castle it, Bonita. it is the it's the weirdest place I've ever been. It's like if you went. Well, if you've been to Disneyland, it's like imagine if you were halfway through the line for Pirates of the Caribbean, and then all of a sudden they diverted you to a table and you just sat down <laughs> and ate a TV dinner that was made an hour and a half ago. <laughs> that's what you would get and there's cliff divers and there's video games from 1983 that none of the buttons oh. work on it but but wow. but it's the, worthless, it's the worthless arcade you're stronger and joust and all this shit and you can't play it because none of the buttons work it's like hey <laughs> could you have someone fix the buttons or like someday that was 40 years ago today. I heard that Trey Parker, Matt Stone, they're, I don't know how true it is, of course, but they said like that we had no idea how many, like, we thought it was gonna be expensive, but it's like hundreds of millions of dollars or something like that. I think they've put 30 million into it. Yeah. 30 million. Okay. Number I plus heard. They, plus is, they had on top of buying the thing, yeah. on top of buy. but, yeah. but the, the, they brought in Michelin rated chefs. Right. They yeah, I saw an interview the with the lady. Thing. They they kept the outside the way it looks, so it still looks like a 
quinceanera party or something. Right, yeah. It's supposed to look like stucco, but the lady's got real organic, real foods. I've heard like all kinds of changes are happening. Yeah. It's it's supposed to be really nice. You might have to have a Casa Bonita party. I'm, I'm gonna. Saying. There's no way I won't. Oh, I'm gonna, now it's gonna be sooner than I thought. That's pretty good. I wish we could own our own themed place. That's like the next major thing, like Bigfoot Hotel, like Big Bigfoot Water <laughs> They exist. Get Tony Merkel on the phone. Come on, I'll, I'll text Hell you right yeah. now. We'll get him on here. A volcano <laughs> somewhere. I've always wanted a Dealey Plaza themed something, restaurant, <laughs> store, something. Right That'd there is where they killed that Bigfoot. Right there yeah. on that and street. You could get into like, you put in a quarter, you get into the car, and then they take a photo, you get shot with Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. Anybody? I'm sorry. Yeah, man, you just hear a voice saying back <laughs> and to the left. Get covered in blood. Yeah. Right. <laughs> party so here you go. Just a bucket of blood on you. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Well, America, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> this has been great. Thanks, Nate, for having us, man. Yeah, hell dude, yeah, dude. You. Hell yeah. Uh, let's 200 episodes is a, is is a lot. Or no, two two years did you two say? You We're two, fucking close. I have 200 episodes in the can where I'm two, putting them out like staggering them, so we definitely are at 200. Uh, you're killing it, man. You guys are absolutely killing it, dude. That's a lot. That'd get you a syndication deal if it was on like, you know, not on regular TV. Right? Yeah. Fuck, man. Yeah, it's fun, dude. I love this. I get to have the most interesting conversations and meet all these awesome people. Uh, one I'm looking forward to, dude, Thomas and I booked the Tiger King. We're going to be fucking That's talking right. to Joe Exotic Dear pretty Lord. soon. Oh, <laughs> pretty my soon. God. Oh my we got God. we got a full 15 minutes to jam yeah. in as much as we possibly can yeah. so. is he in jail or is he out now what happened i think he's in jail he can he's only in do jail. a jail view right interview yeah jail. we're, we're essentially buying wild. him commissary right. from what i understand wow <laughs> that's big you, you hooked that brother up with as much top ramen as he can eat we're gonna yeah, get him some zebra where we is. should do more like prison doc interviews. I wish we could have interviewed Shkreli and things like that when he was in jail. We should still interview him now, of course, because he's red. But we should interview a bunch of people that are in there. I feel like there's got to be some like somebody who wants to do an interview without getting I'd like murdered. To interview Lyle Menendez and ask him why I was able to listen to a fucking conversation. <laughs> well, you know why? Ago. Because uh, what's that company, right? Oh God, I can't remember the names of everything right now. But Qualcomm had the cell chip, and at the time, the deal is that it, you needed a warrant to tap a phone, but not radio and so that's why digital radio became important because encryption meant that you'd have at least encryption that you'd have to break through the encryption you have to get a warrant for encryption up until encryption uh cell phones from 1958 9 i think is when at&t had their first mobile satellite cellular whatever phone a radio-based phone to like this in the 70s they had cell phones that were like ten dollars a minute or something like that even for some it's crazy how long at&t had cell phones but they weren't digital really i mean they weren't digital in this and they weren't encrypted in the same way so you could just pick up pure radio signals into the mid late 90s i think after the motorola g6 or something that's when they started doing all the encryption because it meant you could also because text messages were starting to come out and they're like well then you could also send you know data that way Dick pics. Dick pics, bro. Yeah, That's pictures of Dick Cheney. Say, yeah. You shouldn't send pictures of Cheney to people because he might get shot <laughs> on Kodak. Nixon only. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gents, let's throw some plugs. Andreas. Yeah. Well, you can watch me on Nate and Tony's podcast. I think that's a good place to start. I like that. And then also you can check out Sync Tank with Paranoid American and me. Oh, yeah. uh, we do a pretty good show on Tuesdays on the Exertus channel. Go to YouTube.com slash Exertus X-I-R-T. 
U.S. Exertus. And then also Andreas.me is my website, www.andreas.me. How fun is that? So love you all. Thank you. He's got a great website. Very well designed. Do <laughs> you design that yourself? Yeah, yeah, I wrote it by hand. Yeah, you're, you're good, man. Thanks, bro. <laughs> well, I just made a note of it. I made a note of it because it sounded like such a great sales pitch. I was like, ah, fuck, I got to check Charlie, out you're going to be on there soon. So come watch Charlie on Sync Tank soon. That'll be a part of right the Right on. And likewise, yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie from Macroaggressions, you can catch uh, me, or, I don't know, wherever podcasts are served. Uh, last night, I started doing a thing every thursday night for the month of june with frank from quite frankly doing the book club we're doing shoeless joe so where's my shoeless joe shoeless wow. joe the book awesome. that 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 launched the movie field of dreams fantastic you can catch me there you can follow me on twitter at macroaggression uh on at on instagram at macroaggressions podcast i don't ma manage that tony merkel manages it so if you want to send dick pics to him by all means please do in fact he does he, he love the, the best ones send them all send him all of yours and 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 even the people that you don't know send it to him so um, i have surprising few dick pics i don't know what's going on i, I don't either one. i'm i think i'm a little too old for that generation but points if it's a blurry photo then i have way more pictures of than I, do. Like, I, take, I like to take it with a bigfoot camera you know one oh. from like 74 where it's like intentionally blurry and there's a big scratch on the lens that's what i like to do but anyway yeah macroaggressions wherever podcasts are served thanks everybody thanks for having me on guys this was a lot of fun fuck yeah brother andy oh yeah man Again, thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. Congratulations on two years. Uh, yeah, you can find me at the Deep Share on social media. I'm on Twitter at the Deep Share, yelling at aliens and things like that. A lot of the UFO Twitter folks I get into squabbles with. It's fun. And uh, yeah, I'm on all the podcasts and YouTube and Odyssey, man. I forgot to say, Andy also comes on Sync Tank and occasionally Wednesday Ultra on Wednesdays. We try to get you as often as possible. So whenever yeah, I can, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I love Andre. I appreciate whenever you're there fun. too, man. So love you, man. So much love, Thomas. What are we pimping today? That's me, man. I'm just gonna throw out my my known classic. This is the MK Ultra pamphlet. It's the Chick Track style at ParanoidAmerican.com. Breaks down the entire history of uh, the MK Ultra program from paperclip to modern day, and that the uh, the second edition is gonna be coming out soon, which is the Homunculus Owner's Manual, I which I co-created with uh, with uh, Juan. Uh, from the one-on-one -on -one podcast, and it breaks down every different type of homunculus. I'm I'm telling you that that this man's has some incredible new homunculi that no one's even heard of, but they're legitimate, and we're gonna be dropping it in what I understand is the world's first and only fully illustrated homunculus how-to guide. Uh, so, so I mean, I feel like it's, we're, we're writing history here, and therefore the best one. I'd never heard of the term homunculus until f since I just brought this up, Frank, from quite frankly, he would mention it whenever he was describing Lena Wynn. He would describe her as a <laughs> homunculus. And I, I feel like, like we need to have his homunculus and homunculus. I feel like. Right, right. And she, 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 you know, the, the lady who ran Planned Parenthood and was the witness to the Boston non-bombing. You know her. Yeah, right, right yeah. I mean, I don't get lunch, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. One knows all this because he is a homunculus. I know. <laughs> I know. That's why. Dude, you guys are all seriously the best. Dude. I love you guys. Thank you. And, uh, love you, man. Yeah.
All right. Happy two years, man. Thanks for letting yeah. me uh, be a part of it. I appreciate it. Hell yeah, brother. All right. Cheers. Yep. Cheers.